Welcome to River of Life's Wednesday Night Podcast with Derek Gray. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to visit River of Life Church this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for service times and directions. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join Derek as he teaches from the Word of God. All right. Good evening, everyone. Want to find your places? We'll go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. I was waiting for Henry to come in so I could get him up here to teach this one. Um, I thought that would go well, but I don't see him. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans eight twenty-eight through thirty. This will be the same verses we were in last week, and tonight we are going to tackle the subject. Uh, sometimes uh, scary, sometimes intimidating, sometimes provocative, but always interesting subject of predestination, okay? Let's begin in Romans eight twenty eight. Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, we have been on this verse here for the last two weeks, and what we've learned is that all things, good things, bad things, uh, painful things, boring things, seemingly pointless things, all things work for our good or, or purposed by God. Um, sometimes people will bring things into our life and mean those things for evil. Sometimes Satan will bring things into our life and purpose those things for evil. But God is always purposing those same things for good. He's not just rushing in making uh, lemonade out of lemons, he is in complete control of what happens in our life. Now, Paul says there at the beginning, we know this is true. And so the question we asked last week was, okay, Paul, how can you, how can you say that? How do you know? And verses 29 and 30 is where he answers that question. This is how we know that all things are working together for your good. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now let me say, first of all, that I get the uh, glamorous job of teaching this incredibly difficult subject, right? I didn't put this in the Bible. Does everybody understand that? I just want, I didn't make this up. I didn't think, you know, let me just show everybody how smart I am and come up with some crazy, difficult thing. No, uh, this guy named Paul wrote this about 2,000 years ago. It's always been in the Bible. We just don't deal with it very much, okay? But we don't skip things. Now, so tonight, we are going to deal with this, this topic of predestination. And I said last week, there, if there's one word in the Bible that intimidates Christians... Uh, that causes consternation amongst Christians, it is the term predestination. I said last week, my guess is there's probably not a person in this room that has sat in a Sunday morning service in their life and heard a uh, sermon on predestination. Now, I might be wrong. There might be some somewhere. But most of it's just not preached on. It's not taught on uh, very much at all. Now, the reason for that, of course, is because it can be difficult and it can be confusing. Now, this will be the third time that I've taught on it. 
And, and I've been, I've, I first taught on it in the book of Ephesians back in 2006. Uh, I taught on it in the book of Romans in 2008 or 9, and I'm teaching on it again here in 2021. And I try to get more, every time I do it, I try to get more clear. <laughs> but it's a, it's a tough subject, okay? So I'm going to do my best, but, uh, you know, just, just be patient with me as we go through this. Now, I said one of the reasons it's not taught on and preached on is because it's confusing. Now, it's not confusing because of the Word. Uh, the Word itself is not confusing at all. It's not a, uh, an obscure Greek word that's got seven or eight different meanings or anything like that. No, the word means exactly what it says. Predestined means to predetermine, to foreordain, to decide something beforehand and then bring it to pass. So God is predestining something, okay? And we'll get in later into what that is. Now, I, I pulled out a, this, what I'm about to read from you is from the Baptist Articles of Confession. All right? If you go to our website at River of Life, rolcrawfordville.com, there's a, a what we believe. And some of you have may read that, that. We believe this, we believe this. In case somebody wants to come to our church, we think they should know what we believe. Well, if you go back all the way to the 4th century with Augustine, and you go all the way up, every denomination, every church movement has had a, a creed or an articles of confession that state what they believe. This one is from the Baptist. Okay, Now, I, I chose this for two reasons. Let me read it, and I'll show you why. This is, their, uh, this is the Baptist statement about what they believe with predestination. It says, Those of mankind that are predestined to life, God, before the foundation of the world was laid, according to His eternal and immutable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of His will, hath chosen them in Christ unto everlasting glory, out of His mere free grace and love, without any other thing in the creature, as a condition or cause, moving Him thereunto. This is from the Second London Baptist Confession of 1689. Now, I chose this for two reasons. Number one, I was raised Baptist. So I came up in a Baptist church, and I'm sure many of you here were raised in Baptist churches. This is the Baptist statement of or article of confession concerning uh, predestination. Okay, so it, it, it just basically lays out there what the Bible says. Now, I did it for a second reason because this was in 1689. If you go all the way back to 1700, pretty much every article of confession had a statement on uh, predestination. It was just as common as having a statement of belief on salvation or the Trinity or the second coming or everything else that we believe. It was very common to find these things. But in the uh, 1700s, something changed. In the 1700s, something occurred called the Age of Enlightenment. There were philosophers like Voltaire and John Locke and these guys, and, and, and all these scientific discoveries were being made, and, and there was all these philosophical ideas. And, there, and through, all throughout the 1700s, uh, it was called the Age of Enlightenment, the Age of Reason. And what was happening in, our, in the culture back then is that mankind was being lifted up. Look how great we are. Look how awesome we are. Look how smart and wise we are as human beings. Well, you got to imagine that's going on in culture, and there's some preacher over there preaching that God has predestined you. That fell out of favor real quick. Does that make sense? By the way, you should see the analogy today. 
See, for years and years and centuries and centuries, we've said marriage is between a man and a woman. And now all of a sudden our culture says, oh no, no, that's outdated. That's primitive. That's old-fashioned. See, that's exactly what happened with predestination. It fell out of favor and a lot of churches backed off. They didn't want to be seen as, as not with it, not reasonable, not wise and smart. So they just backed off. They didn't preach it anymore. They didn't teach it anymore. It was an old-fashioned doctrine. And by the way, we're seeing the same thing in, in some churches, uh, Methodist churches and Episcopalian churches and Lutheran churches uh, when it comes to marriage in this day and age. And so in that 1700s, they began to move away from some of these religious ideas and that doctrine fell out of favor. But last week, I made this statement. All Christians must believe in predestination. You must. You have no choice. Now, why would I say that? Well, it's in the Bible. Not only is it in the Bible, it's in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's all over the Bible, okay? Not only in word, but also in concept. And, I, and we're going to wade into that, and I want to show you a little bit about that now. Now, there are four verses in the Bible that actually use the word predestined, okay? Two of those we've already seen, Romans 8, 29, and 30. The other two are also penned by the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1.11, Paul says this, "...in him also we have obtained an inheritance." being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And earlier in that same chapter, verses 4 and 5, Paul says this, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now stop right there. That's predestination. Okay? Everybody with me? He didn't use the word, but that's, that's exactly what He said. He made a choice before the foundation of the world, to choose us in Christ. That's predestination. He goes on that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having, now He uses the word, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. So, this passage right here gives us a lot of good information. Number one, what did God do? God chose us. When did He do it? He did it before the foundation of the world. Why did He do it? according to his own purposes and the good pleasure of his will. Now, we got a long way to go, but that is a very good definition right there of what Paul means by predestination. Now, those are the four verses that use the word, but I want to wade a little further into the concept of God choosing. If you were to say to me tonight, wait a minute, Derek, God wouldn't actually choose one person over another, would he? Now, listen, anybody that knows me knows sometimes I've got a bad character flaw. I can be a smart aleck. I just, it's just a bad character flaw I got. If, if you came up to me tonight and said, God wouldn't actually do that, would he? My reaction would be, have you even read the Bible? Because the entire Bible is God making choices. The entire Bible is all about God choosing. L let me show you what I mean. Let's look at the Old Testament. Let's start in the book of Genesis. Genesis 18, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him because I have chosen him. You go back in, uh, to Genesis and read what happened. Uh, er, uh, uh, Abraham was residing in a city called Ur, and, and archaeologists tell us there were probably about 200,000 people 
dwelling in that city, every single one of them pagans. Every single one. And God picked one man, Abraham, selected him. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord you, your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So here he's talking about the nation of Israel. And he says, I didn't choose them or them or them. I chose you. And by the way, somewhere else it goes on and says, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest or the largest or the richest or the best looking. In fact, he says, you were the least of all peoples. I chose you because I loved you. Psalm 105, he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. Psalm 78, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. Psalm 78 again, then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. So right here in the Old Testament, we've got God choosing individuals, God choosing a nation, and then God within the nation choosing certain tribes to do something and rejecting others. God is choosing, 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 making choices. Now, before we leave the Old Testament, I want you to look at a scripture. Exodus 33. Moses comes to God and he said, God, and I just, I love this passage. I, I, I wish we could just stay right here all night. He comes to God and he says, God, show me your glory. Now, I don't know what was on Moses' mind, but when I think about the glory of God, I think about physical things. I think about fire and clouds and smoke and light. You know, are you with me? And I think that's what was in his mind because notice what he said, show me your glory. Show it to me so I can see it, right? He, he, he was expecting something physical. This is God's answer. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And then God says this. Almost sounds like it's out of place. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. And I'm like, when you first read that, you're like, what has that got to do with his glory? But read it again and you'll see it has everything to do with his glory. You see, Moses says, God, show me your glory. And, Mo and God says, okay, Moses, this is my glory. I am a God that chooses. I'm not a God with my hands tied behind my back. I'm not a God that the deists believe in, that, that somehow I created the earth and I sit back with my arms crossed and watch it happen. No, my glory is that I choose. My glory is that I make choices. And by the way, understand that if you try to take choices away from him, you're denying him his glory. Now, he said that, not me. That's his glory, that he is a God that chooses. Let's get to the New Testament and keep going. Acts 22. Then a certain Ananias said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour, I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the hear the voice of his mouth. A persecutor, the, the man that held Stephen's clothes while they stoned that man to death. And God says, I choose him. We move on. Second Thessalonians, the same guy who just got chosen said this, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God for, from the beginning chose you for salvation. Okay, there again, God is choosing. 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
and into his marvelous light. And then, of course, all the way to the end in Revelation, these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So you've got God choosing in Genesis, and you've got God choosing all the way to Revelation, and you've got God saying, this is my glory, I am a God that chooses. Now, by the way, I just looked at the words predestinate and choose. I didn't even yet look at the word elect. You see, there's another word in the New Testament. It's the Greek word electos, which we, is translated in English elect, and it means to choose or select. You'll see that all over the Bible, especially in the New Testament. For example, Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as the elect of God, as the chosen or the selected of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Second Timothy 2.10, this is Paul again. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that, excuse me, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So again, the word elect means chosen. It means, it means selected. Now, by the way, I just chose passages of scriptures from four different men. Luke in the book of Acts, Paul, Peter, and John the Revelator in the book of Revelation. So four different men all teaching the same thing. Now, some people may say, well, Derek, couldn't it be that after Jesus died and, 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 and rose again and went to heaven that these men just came up with this idea? What about Jesus? Did Jesus teach this idea that God chooses? Absolutely he did. John 15, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Again, the words of Jesus in Mark 13, For in those days there will be tribulation. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those whom he chose, he shortened the days. Matthew 24, for false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to, to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. By the way, it is not possible. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. 14, again, the words of Jesus, many are called, but few are chosen. In Matthew 24, 31, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect, his chosen ones, his selected ones from the four winds, from one end of heavens to the other. By the way, that's the word predestined, the word chosen, the word of elect. There's also other things that also give this idea that God is choosing. And it doesn't use those words. For example, John 17, Jesus said, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those whom you have given me. In John 6, 64, he said, This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted. So what we're seeing in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, is, is this is a God that is at work. This is a God that is choosing, that is electing, that is predestining, that is granting, that is giving. He's not sitting on his hands. His hands aren't tied behind his back. He is making decisions with regard to salvation. So here's my question. Does God predestine us? Does God choose us? Does God elect us? What's the answer? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely he does. There is no debate on that. 
The, the, the scriptures are too numerous. It, you would literally have to just tear almost, I mean, pages and pages and pages out of your Bible to not believe any of those things. There, there really is no debate. And by the way, we also know that according to the scriptures that those decisions were made before time began. We see that multiple times. There's really no debate about that either. Scripture is just too clear. Yes, we are predestined. Yes, we are chosen. Yes, we are elected. Okay? Nobody really debates that. That's not even really controversial, to be quite honest. This is what's controversial. The question becomes, okay, God chose, but why did he do what he did? That's what we want to know. Why did he do what he did? Everybody here, every single day, makes choices. And the cho there's always a reason behind your choice. Nobody here just makes arbitrary choices. You, there's reasons pretty much for every single thing you do, especially significant things. There's always a reason. Listen, God is no different. God is not arbitrary. God has purposes. God, there are reasons that God is doing the things that he did. So the question becomes... Why did he choose somebody? What was the criteria that he used? What was, what was his reasoning behind doing what he's doing? That's a, that's a really good question, right? Let's go back to Romans 8, 29 and let's read it. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. What that tells us is that God knew something and because he knew something, he chose to predestine. By the way, the Apostle Peter tells us the exact same thing. So you'll know this is just not Paul. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion, elect, chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God. God chose people because he had some type of foreknowledge. So that's a real good clue. God is choosing for a reason. What's the reason that he's making these choice? So the first thing we see here is that God's foreknowledge precedes his predestination. Everybody see that? Okay, it's pretty straightforward. We haven't gotten any, anything really controversial yet or even really anything too hard to understand. But uh, we know this. Okay, let's look at that word foreknowledge. Very, again, not a complicated word. Simple word. Foreknowledge means to know something or to know beforehand or to know in advance. To know before it happens. Is, that's what foreknowledge. So God knows something in advance. And because he does, he predestines. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Do we all understand that God knows everything? Knows everything about you. The Bible says he knows the hairs on your head or the lack of hairs on your head, as the case may be, right? He knows, he knows the exact day you're going to die, the exact second. It's already, uh, David said it's already been written in his book. It's already been written down. He knows exactly how much time you got left, how much time you got. He knows everything, okay? But here's the thing, and I want, you, I want to make very clear about this. When the Bible talks about predestination. It never talks about unbelievers. Never. Never, in, not one time does it ever say that unbelievers are predestined. Never. 
When it talks about predestination or election or choosing, it always only talks about Christians. See, the fact is God knows everything about everyone, but not everyone is called. Not everyone is saved. Not everyone is going to heaven. Only Christians are. So here's the question. What is it about Christians specifically that he foreknew? All right. Put your thinking cap on. I'm going to give you two interpretations of this verse or this passage. And you'll be able to select which one you want to go with. By the way, there are some others, but they're so crazy out there that I'm not even going to give them to you. They're not even, they're not even worth discussing. There are only really two that we need to consider here tonight. Okay, here's the first one. What is it that God knew about Christians that caused him to predestine? Some people believe that what God did is that before time began, God looked down through history. He looked down through time and he saw Al. And he said, boy, that Al. And and what he saw was that Al would one day choose him. So what God did is said, since Al's going to choose me, I'm going to go ahead and choose Al first. Everybody got that? That's so, so that's what some people believe, that God looked down through time. He saw who would choose him. And because you would choose him one day, he went ahead and predestinated you because of that. So if you go back to Romans eight twenty nine, this is how they would read that passage. For those whom he foreknew would put their faith in him, he went ahead and predestined. Okay? There's a lot of people believe that, by the way. And by, in fact, that is a popular definition because it allows people... You can't just throw predestination out of the Bible. You just can't. It, it, it's in there. So you've got to deal with it. Well, this definition allows us to hold on to predestination, but it allows us also to preserve free will. Everybody see that? God's predestinating us because we chose him first. Everybody got that? Okay. Listen, I want you to understand something about that. If that is true, if that's true, then the ultimate reason you are saved is because of something inside of you. That there was some disposition or some wisdom or some inclination or some tendency in you that the person right beside you did not have. And God saw that in you and said, yes, he or she is going to believe in me and I'm going to choose him. But at the end of the day, if this is true, then the credit go for your salvation really begins with you. Everybody see that? There's no way around that. It has to. Okay. now let me say that that interpretation is completely wrong. All right. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you it's just wrong. All right. And I'm going to tell you why it's wrong. Sounds good. It fits our little box really nicely, but it's just wrong. Okay, I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, there is absolutely no support for that anywhere else in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere does it say God looked down through time and saw you choosing him. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. That is completely read into it. Okay, so it has no other support. I can't go to another passage or another verse and say, oh yeah, that, that's not even in the Bible. So that's the first reason I got a problem with it. The second reason is a bigger reason. And that is because this interpretation 
makes assumptions that Scripture flatly denies. Let me say that again. This interpretation makes assumptions that Scripture flatly denies. For example, it assumes that God looks down through time and sees people... uh, uh, there's Denzel, he's going to choose me. And there's Ron, he's going to choose me. And there's Henry, he's going to choose me. And he, he sees these people choosing him without any help from him. Folks, let me tell you, Scripture, that assumes that man and, men and women have an ability that Scripture absolutely denies that they have. Romans three ten through 18, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. No one does good. No one fears him. If God did look down through time and he he was looking for people that would choose him, that's what he would see. Absolutely nothing. That's the Bible. So for me to assume people would be... That's not... That's not... That's an assumption that Scripture denies. Number two, it assumes that spiritually dead people are capable of life-giving faith. Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at this a week or two ago. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were following after the prince of the power of the air. You were living in the passions of your, of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. You were by nature children of wrath. That is a description of people apart from God. That was a description of me at one time. Well, what made the difference? Well, Paul tells us. But God, because of his great love for us, made us alive. You see, a dead person can't make themselves alive. God has to get involved. So somehow, thinking that God could look down and see somebody, some dead person having life enough to think in, to believe in Him, that just assumes something the Bible doesn't teach. The third thing is, it assumes a spiritual life can be initiated by the baby. Let me explain what I mean by this. John 1 says this, to all who, believe, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will. Let me, let me explain what it's talking about here. When a man and a woman decide to have a baby, hopefully they decide to have a baby, they come together. They make a decision to come together. And that egg is fertilized and that embryo comes into being and that child begins to grow and eventually that baby is born. But a baby is born because it goes all the way back to a human decision for a man and woman to come together. But notice what it says there. The children of God are not born that way. Children of God don't come into being from a human decision. They come into being from God. So you can't just decide, man, I want to be born again. I want to be, and make, it can't make it happen. God. Only God births children of of His. So I think that interpretation is wrong. Now, if you want to go with it, go with it. I'm not going to say anything to you, but I just think it's wrong. Here's the right one, just in case you want to know. (laughs) Oh, Lord, I'm getting myself in trouble. Henry, come handle this one, if you will. Interpretation number two. In this interpretation, the phrase for new does not represent a knowledge of a fact it, re- it represents a knowledge of a person. Go back to Genesis, early in Genesis chapter 4. The Bible says that Adam, what? Knew his wife. That does not mean he knew her favorite shampoo. 
doesn't mean he knew what type of cake she wanted to eat or what her shoe size was. I mean, he, he might have known all those things. It means that he knew her relationally, right? Matthew 7, that verse where those people say, Lord, didn't we do works in your name and cast out demons in your name and all this stuff in your name? Jesus said, I never, what, knew you. He's not saying, I don't know your name. He knows everything about them. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, I never knew you relationally. We never had a relationship with one another. In, in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians, Paul says this, If anyone loves God, this one is what? Known by him. See, God knows everybody. <laughs> That's not what it's talking about. He said, when you love God, you enter into a relationship with God. You are known by God. See, that's a different type of know. It's not knowing a fact. It's knowing someone in a relational way. So in this sense, the second interpretation, when it says those whom he foreknew, he's talking about that relationship. He, he made, God made a decision. God looked down through, by the way, did the same thing. Before time began, he looked down through time and he said, I'm going to have a relationship with Al. I'm going to have a, a, a relationship with Denzel. I'm going to have a relationship with Henry. I'm going to have a relationship with Miss Joanne. He, he looked down and made a decision beforehand to, ha to foreknow you, to have a relationship with you. Now, by the way, if this interpretation is true, then the ultimate reason that someone is saved lies with one person and one person only, and that's God. It is pure, 100% grace. Got it? Everybody with me? See the difference between the two? All right. So which one is it? Which one do you believe? Remember what I said last week? Paul doesn't let us opt out. He tells us in Romans... One person thinks this day's better. Another person thinks this day's better. Another person thinks you can eat meat. Another person thinks you can't eat meat. Paul said, it's okay if you come, but make sure you're fully convinced in your own mind. We don't have the ability to opt out. We need to come to what we believe. So which one do you believe? By the way, the word uh, for new is ambiguous. It could mean, it just means to know in advance. It could mean to know a fact. It could mean um, to, uh, to, to know in a relational way. So how do we figure it out? Well, we always do what we always do. You let Scripture interpret Scripture. Always, okay? Now, as I said last week, I'm going to let you make your own determination. But several years ago now, I had to, I had to get in here and figure this out. And I began to look at these Scriptures and look at these Scriptures. And it was pretty obvious to me that the second interpretation is what I was going to go with. And I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, when you look at these verses, the subject of God's foreknowledge is always people. When it talks about God foreknowing someone, it's always people. For example, look at Romans 8, 29. It says, for whom he foreknew. It doesn't say anything about for whom he foreknew people with that chose him or anything like that. It just says for whom he foreknew. He's foreknowing people. Romans 11:2. Paul uses this same terminology. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So I think that's pretty obvious that the subject is, is, is people. He's foreknowing people, not things about people. 
But there's a bigger reason than that, that I believe the second one is true. We started this out by saying, why does God do what he does? That's the question we ask. Why does he choose the people that he chooses? Well, the Bible does not leave us alone when it comes to this. The Bible clearly tells us why God does what he does. Clearly. Tells us multiple times why God did this the way he did it. Let me give you, let's go back to Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Why did God choose before the foundation of the world, before you were born, before you had done anything good or bad, why did God do it that way? It says it right there, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the pra- See, if it's got anything to do with you, His grace don't get the praise. Well, look at me. Look how smart I was. Look how great I did. Look how good I was. See, He did it in a way that you don't get any credit. None. Zip. Zero. His grace gets all the credit. First, uh, 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to anything we did or thought or or, or was or anything. We didn't even exist yet. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Romans nine sixteen, Paul says, So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The NIV says that it doesn't depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. 1 Corinthians 1, we, we, a couple weeks ago, we, we did this one, right? God chose what is foolish. God chose what is weak. God cho- chose what is low and despised. Why did he do that? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's why he did it. He did it in a way so that no man or woman could ever stand before him and say, look at me. Look how smart I was. Look how good I was. Nope. Nope. He decided to do it in a way that took you completely out of the equation. Now here, I want to make something clear. You are responsible to believe, and we'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. Your faith is important. But I'm going to make a statement here, and I want you to listen to me very closely. Scripture never, ever, when it talks about God choosing or God predestinating, God never, ever speaks of our faith as the reason He chose us. Our faith is what connects us to salvation, but it's not the reason. It never speaks of faith as the reason He picked us. It's always about His own purpose and His grace. So, here's where we come to. It's an obvious fact in this world that some people choose Christ and some people don't. That's obvious. We see it all the time, right? Uh, We saw it Sunday. I I preached my heart out. And somebody came forward, but others didn't. We see that every Sunday, whether it's Brother Bill or or Pastor Henry or Pastor Chuck. There's always some going to choose Christ and some will not. What's the difference? What's the difference? What makes one person choose God and another not? Here's the thing. It is either based entirely on something God does... In other words, he, he's choosing according to his own purposes and grace, or salvation is ultimately 
a combination of God's grace plus something that the person does. They have an inclination to believe or a tendency to believe or a disposition to believe, something in that person. It's one of those two things. Now, the problem with that is this. Romans eleven five 5 through 6 says this, and this will be our last scripture on this. Even so then, at this present time, Paul says, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace it is no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer work, is, is grace is no longer grace. See, the Bible's pretty clear. Grace is 100% God. If you try to add any other thing into it, a little bit of your goodness or a little bit of your works or a little bit of your personality or a little, and think, he chose me because of that, grace is no longer grace. It's got to be all God or he's not going to have anything to do with it. It is 100% grace. Now, listen, let's set the complicated stuff aside and let's just get to the good stuff. In the end, we are predestined. Now, why he did what we did, we can debate that, okay? I think it's pretty clear, but you and I could come to a different uh, decision, and that's okay, right? I can live with that. But we are predestined for his own purposes. But I want to know, okay, what could his purposes be in my life? Well, let's go back to Romans 8, 28 and 29. It says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God has a purpose for choosing us, has a purpose for choosing me, a purpose for choosing you. What is it? I want to know. Okay, tell me, give me some, give me some feedback here, God, what's going on? Well, he gives us two purposes in this, in this, in this passage right here. Number one is this one. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me tell you, when cancer comes into your life, it is there to conform you to the image of Jesus. When, 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 um, when that loss of a job comes into your life, it is there for a purpose, which is to conform you to the image of Jesus. When that thing comes into your life, whatever that thing may be, it is there. It's working for your good. It's working to conform you to the image of Jesus. That is one of the purposes God wants to work in your life. But now here's an even cooler one to me. Look at that last one. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen, we read that and we make it about us. And by the way, that is about us. He, Paul is writing to us. He wants us to understand that, that, man, when things come into your life, God is in control. But I want you to see that it's also not just about us. It's about the Father and the Son. You see, the Father... Love the Son so much that He is going to make sure that He's the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. He don't just leave it to chance. He wants to make sure that Jesus has people around Him to worship and glorify Him and honor Him forever. In order to do that, what does He does? He predestines some. And the ones that He predestines, He calls and the ones that he calls, he saves. And the ones that he saves, he makes sure they get to heaven. He's not leaving it to chance because he loves the Son so much. He's going to make sure that there are those with him to glorify him forever. All things are working for your good because all things work to make you like Jesus. Let me tell you, that's what you're chosen for. That is your destiny if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We know, thank you for Romans 8. What an incredible passage it is. But 
We also know it's complicated. We know there are, are things here that's just very difficult for our human mind to understand. Father, I pray for patience um, that you'll have with us as we wrestle with these things. I pray that there'll be no confusion. Uh, God, the last thing we want is for confusion. If you, uh, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you come in and you take anything I said that was confusing and you just make it right in, in the hearts of your, of your children. Lord, we love you. And I thank you so much for Romans 8.28. As I said last week, inside the walls of Romans 8.28, there is peace and there is security and there's depth and maturity. God, thank you. Thank you for a wonderful promise. Thank you for a foundation behind that promise. God, help us. Help us to walk and stand in your word as we go out of here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to the River of Life podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.